It's like those old movies we both love. Now I'm gonna tell you my whole plan, and then I'm gonna come up with some absurd and convoluted way to kill you, and you'll find an equally convoluted way to escape. Sounds good to me. Well, this ain't that kind of movie. Oh, we're back. It's not another literature podcast, but you got Gooda and Griffiths, and we're going to go through the media exam for your listening, enjoyment, and academic progress this afternoon. So, I um, guess we'll start off at the top. Yeah, so let's... I'll play the role of the uh, student here. Okay. Just, just to be okay. a- absolutely clear, I do know some of this stuff. I'm not doing it because I don't know, and I've been teaching it for two years. And I will be the teacher in this one. I like that. Okay. okay. So, to keep things simple, I'll start with question one. That usually comes up first in the exam, as I understand it. So, question one, characters and events. What are your top tips for students when they're organising themselves for question one? Well, the first tip is you only have to find five of one and four of the other, because you're going to put that gimme down, in which there's many ways in which the characters and events uh, fit or reflect the action-adventure genre. And if it doesn't, then we just say there's many ways the characters and events don't fit the action adventure genre, and if it's between, there are some ways in which the characters and events fit the action adventure genre. But I've said that now three times, because hopefully it's going to bury itself into some people's minds, because when they make little mistakes in that wording, they don't get the mark. It's not about necessarily saying it verbatim perfect, but it's the idea of saying characters, events, and fitting the genre. Uh, and then I'm just looking for five and four, and probably the best thing to do is go, I'm not going to get more than two marks for any one. If I go to characters. I'm going to get two marks for protagonist, and then I'm going to stop. Because if I just list four or five things about a protagonist, they're going to go, he doesn't really know about protagonists. So I'm probably going to say at some point, protagonist is like brave, or skilled, or funny. Then I'm going to give an example, and I'm going to use the character's name, because I have to prove that I know who the protagonist is. So in the case of Spy, I, we have to say that Penny is the protagonist. We can't say this protagonist, and we see this because she's there. It has to be specifically... Protagonist is something. Protagonist is smart, brave, funny, skilled, you name it. The uh, example using the character name, and then just the statement of convention. We have to say this is conventional or unconventional, as the case might be. So I'm going to do it two times for the protagonist. Um, if there's an antagonist, I'm going to do at least one for that one. Or a psycho, I'm going to do at least one for that one. Or a damsel, I can do at least one for that one. I'm really going to struggle if I have to go to henchmen. I mean, you can, but I do it more as a last resort. I think they should give you lots for the other character types, as is. And generally, I'd probably do, whichever one comes first, more often than not, you're probably going to find five for character. And then for events, I mean, it's, I think that one's a bit dead easy. There's always going to be a moment of triumph. There's always going to be a moment of defeat. There's almost always going to be destruction of environment. There's always going to be a race against time. And if when I sat down there, I just typed on my little um, note sheet as the film was going on, MOD for moment of defeat, MOT moment of triumph, uh, race, and then destruction, and as soon as I find it, just fill that in. Uh, I think that's a lot easier if we sort of pre-populate the sheet rather than just hoping you're going to sort of juggle it all in a moment. So even if it means you lose something on that second viewing because you're writing down little sheet notes for yourself, I think it works out the long run. So, so pre-populate it with, with the things that might come up. Yeah, but things that more often than not do come up. I mean, I've yet to see a clip. It doesn't have a moment of triumph and a moment of defeat and a destruction of environment and a race against time. Actually, it always has those four. And then the other things we know about... 
uh, we can we can definitely include uh, like a one versus many fight. You must say it's a fight. You can't just say it's one versus many. Uh, or if we're saying that um, the villain is unnecessarily cool or, or ever so elements like that, we can add that to it. But really, we want to talk about um, those big four because they always show up. Um, yeah. Okay, good. So, so pre-populate your um, your sheet with with the things that you know that, that could work, but almost certainly come up, yeah. and then you're just filling in the blanks as they come. And if you end up with some that are blank, that's fine. Just discard those. Yeah. And the other tip is, if you get to eight and you get stuck, don't waste your time trying to fill up those last two spots because the question is only worth ten marks. And if you use all your time, because it's a race against time as yeah. an exam, if you use up all the time on question one, you're going to kick yourself and you get to questions three, four A, and four B, which are considerably more marks. Sure. So, so in terms of that general organisation, the the students should be filling in all of it as they go. Question one and two. Yeah, question one and two. I wouldn't even worry so much about question three for the most part because as you fill up question one two, you'll get an idea of how the characters are represented. Don't spend your time looking for an adjective because in answering question one and two, you find all the examples and all the adjectives you really need. And yeah. question three is just kind of putting them together and just demonstrating them in a different formula. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so you, you've seen it that many times, I guess, by the time you get to question three, you're not thinking, what did I see? You've seen it sufficiently that you can recall it. To right. So if I, if I got really stuck and I, <laughs> I have no idea on question three, I'll just go back and read over my notes for question one. So say if we did Thor, yeah. right? And in Thor, I've said the protagonist is brave and the protagonist is aggressive. As two of my examples. And I said the damsel in distress is apologetic and the damsel in distress is weak. Well, then when it comes down to question three, I can say women are represented as weak. Women are represented as dependent. And I've got my examples because I already used them in question mm-hmm. one, plus anything I may have used in question two. I can say men are aggressive and men are violent and men are protective. And mm-hmm. I can say all these things because I've probably used those examples in question one. So yeah, so as far as your, your notes taking, and, and I pre-populate, worry about question one, worry about question two, I just leave three alone because I think you'll figure it out. Okay, great. So so moving on to question two. Yeah. Um, because obviously that's ten mark question at the start. Um, and they should all know what they do with that. Five characters and four events, or the other way around, yeah. plus their, plus their um, gimme mark. So question two is your 20 marks, which is obviously, you know, doubles up so you have double the time to fill it in you have 20 minutes for this one um again it's about pre-populating would you say so yeah and i think this one's even more important because this is the question that's getting us to this point still if people aren't getting their target grades it's more often than not because they're not getting question two and because they have holes in their weakness somewhat so uh, the first thing i do is revision tactic would be literally write down on a cue card or an index card, mise-en-scene, on the other side, list all the things I can talk about in mise-en-scene. I think part of the problem is they're just not remembering the terminology. Then when it comes time for the exam, and as soon as that second clip starts to play, as you can take notes, I'm just creating my question two sheet and listing those top five elements that should show up for each one. And then I can just go ahead and scribble them in as I see them on the third and the fourth viewing. And I think it's much, much, much easier. So, if we're talking mise-en-scene, I'm probably going to get at least two shouts of costume for sure. Uh, because more than one person is going to be wearing more than one costume. So we can make comments on both of those. But I'd stop at two. You don't want to do three or four or five on, on costume. Uh, you're probably going to get at least one setting, again, if not two. And if they give us two settings, if they give us an exotic location like the and an urban location like they did in Skyfall, or like they did in Spy, where you've got this crosscut between two different locations, I talk about both of those, and I get a mark for each of those as well. And then it just gives me the rest of the world to talk about either props or lighting or blocking or nonverbal communication. And all of a sudden, I've got 
I'm, I'm an embarrassment of riches mm -hmm. that I can talk about. Because I went first things first, costume and setting. I'm going to make sure I hit those first, and then might even get four marks out of it. Um, soundtrack, uh, you're going to have, please make sure you call it a score. You're going to have major key, you're going to have minor key, you're going to have a crescendo, you're probably going to have a diminuendo or a musical attack, and you're going to have dialogue. And there alone by itself, I've got five. I probably want to throw in diagenic sound as a safety net, and I've got six. We're not going to talk about Foley in soundtrack, because I can talk about Foley in editing. I'm going to save that one. Okay. But anything you can use is diegetic sound. Just don't use music, and you're fine. But when you name something as diegetic sound, if you get wheels screeching off into the distance, just don't say this makes it more realistic. Although it is, mm -hmm. it's more realistic than if we didn't have that sound, it would create a sense of anxiety or excitement yeah, yeah. because of what that represents, danger and, and, and a thrill ride. As opposed to if you just had diegetic sound because there's plates rattling in the background of the restaurant scene, okay, maybe then I say how it's realistic. Yeah. But just not getting shoehorned into words like you don't want to overuse tension or it makes me feel like I'm there or realism. Mm -hmm. If you overuse those in the wrong context, they will not give you the mark. Yeah. Sim similar to English, I guess, in that it makes the reader want to read on. Yes. You avoid those sorts exactly. of statements. We're going to avoid those sorts of statements if at all possible. Some moments where it could be applicable, but for the most part, we're going to try and find that slightly more sophisticated version of it. Uh, then going to editing, which is everybody's bugbear. They don't like editing, they don't do well in editing, and I think once you, if you don't read your little top five list, I think that's dead easy. For editing, I'd want to be talking about uh, fast-paced editing. I'd want to be talking about slow-paced editing. I want to be talking about um, CGI. There'll definitely be some sort of CGI. Foley. This is where I'm using my, my, uh -huh. my Foley, because that's the freebie there. And then I've got either shot, reverse shot, or some sort of speed manipulation, whether that's slow motion, whether that's time lapse. And if you really get stuck, you can talk about the amount of screen time a character gets. Look at that. It's a soundtrack. Yep. You can never talk about the amount of screen time. That was, that was diegetic that was sound. A little diegetic sound. <laughs> it was not score. My phone really was going off. Now I have to keep that in. We, 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 heard, we both heard that. that we was both diegetic. heard that, and so have you. So it existed in our universe. So, um, in the sound of my phone, there you go, it hits the table, we've got some Foley going on there. Um, and on top of that, we've got, I just lost my train of thought, apologies to the listening audience at home, uh, some sort of speed manipulation, or I've got shot reverse shot, which uh, shows relationship, and please realize it's not just romantic, if the hero and the villain have a face off, that builds that tension there as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... I guess there's the element of they should try to find as many different things as they could. They shouldn't use the same thing for um, diegetic sound as Foley. Try right. To You've got the whole sound palette to choose from. Choose any two things that are dialogue and it counts as Foley. Please don't say dialogue is Foley. People, things that people say is never Foley. Outside of that, you can pretty much use anything else. Any incidental noise, people running their footsteps, cars, tires... Uh, things getting knocked over, the sound of a gun getting, uh, the, tr the trigger getting shot, any of that stuff will be recorded in post. And also choose something that's easy, I guess, to say what the f intended effect on audience is. Exactly. So if you've got the plates rattling, you know, I can say it's more realistic. Or I can say there's the sound of the bazaar getting knocked over mm -hmm. James Bond. I'm going to choose that because I can say it's more exciting yeah. or, or it creates anxiety in the audience. Yeah. Uh, or some of the motorcycle engine revving makes me excited as opposed to makes me feel like I'm there. Yeah, sure. Uh, and if you really get stuck, you can say you've got continuity editing, which you will always have, but only use that as a last resort because that kind of limits how high you're going to get on that question if you okay. throw that out there. But if you're really stuck, throw it in for your fifth. Okay. 
Okay, great. And then finally, camera work, which is the first lesson we all did at the start of our... And there's always going to be a high-angle shot. There's always going to be a low-angle shot. More often than not, we're going to have a Dutch or a Canton angle shot. Um, we're probably going to have an extreme close-up at some point. And if we're going to talk about close-ups, please remember, I don't want anybody to say it helps me see the emotion of the character. Because I don't care if it helps me see the emotion of the character. Because that's actually non-verbal communication, the emotion the character okay. shows. But if Jane has a close-up on her face in Thor, and she looks concerned, what's the impact on me is that I am now <coughs> concerned for her. And that's the effect on the audience. It's not the effect on the character, it's the effect on me. And just me understanding she's upset isn't enough. It's what emotion do I get out of that. So if she's concerned, then I'm concerned, great. Well, conversely, if you see a villain with a close-up and he's smiling, I don't really care, it makes me realize he's happy. It makes mm -hmm. me angry that the yeah. villain's happy that his plan is working. And things of, of, of that sort sure. of nature. Okay. So, so always close it off in terms of what the intended impact is on the audience rather than just leaving it quite closed and saying things like this helps me see how they're feeling yes we don't want to avoid all that sort of thing because that can be anything yeah you uh, need to say how they're feeling and why yeah. why what the intention is yeah if it's if it's the kind of response that could fit any shot there is then you're being far too generic it's why it makes me want to watch more mm -hmm. i just want to see what comes next um if they did establishing shot for example so there's an establishing shot this yeah, at the start, yeah, the clip, there's, there's an establishing shot. This helps the audience to... Well, if you look at Spy, if we don't have that establishing shot of Rome, I mean, the graphic helps too, but I don't get the idea that we're in a different exotic location, therefore there'll be different rules in the game. And you think about how many things that happen are so centered around the idea that they're in Italy and things are different, mm -hmm. whether it's the fast cars, the fast men, the fashion, all that stuff. That's important that I get her somewhere else. Yeah, and I get that she's even. I guess she's at the airport. Because I think they they even they, they type it. They like almost types up on the screen where they are. Doesn't it say Rome, Italy, or something? That like one that. it does say Rome. So yeah. we can count that as editing too. Yeah. It's a bit of a graphic or a reestablishing shot itself. They both help. So yeah. I probably wouldn't do both in that situation. I'd claim one or the other. Okay. But it's definitely um, definitely a good idea. Uh, also, things like tracking shots, if you get one, just realize that it helps glorify whatever they're doing. When Katniss mm -hmm. has that tracking shot in Hunger Games, it impresses us because of what she's able to do. It adds pace, maybe. It adds pace. Uh, the whip pan, it disorients me, mm -hmm. right? I can't keep track of it, which is yeah. good. And the point of view shot, it's not just that it lets me see what they see. If it's a point of view shot, if it's a speed, and I see the bus coming at me, and it's that point of view shot looking up, it's not just I can see what Keanu Reeves can see. Mm -hmm. I am now concerned for Keanu Reeves because that bus looks massive. Yeah. Or when I'm in the point of view shot of uh, whatever his name was, Enzo or Alonzo or in, mm -hmm. in Spy, when he was driving, and you see how fast he's weaving in and out, it's not I feel like I'm driving the car, it's I get to see how erratic this is, and yeah. I'm actually quite... <laughs> Quite yeah. uh, unable to focus and concerned for the characters. Da, 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 da. So really, effect on the audience is the big trick on that one. Great. Now comes to question three. Uh huh. So there's always one key thing I think that you teach with question three, which is that characters are not people. Yes, we need to make sure we're talking about the people and not them as characters. I don't care how Thor is represented or how James Bond's represented. I care about how men are represented. If it helps you, three. Threeple. Question threeple. Three sounds like people. So, whereas you get one ventional in question one, you get threeple in question three. Uh, and they want to know about stereotypes, not conventions. So that one of the big problems is people mix up question one language with question three language. In question one, it's about characters and it's about conventions. Both start with C, if that helps. Question three is all about people and stereotypes. And if it helps you remember that even more, alphabetical order. 
question one, C and C, question three, people and stereotypes, P and S. And the thing is quite simple, and this is Ms. Jones is barging into our recording session, and she's hurt herself though, if that helps you in that moment. She gave a thumbs up, she's okay, she's gonna live. Um, so, where was I? So it's a really quite simple formula, but I think we've referred to it as days in the end, which is state the demographic, there's your D, demographic, men, women, children, the military, Italians, are represented as, and this is your adjective, brave, bad drivers, well, look at that again, more, more digest. So, so in Spy, yes. um, uh, um, Aldo, it's Peter, Aldo, that's Peter Serafinovich, I think it is, is it, that plays the character maybe? Anyway, I think, he's, he's not Italian, he's playing an Italian, Yes. and he does it in quite a stereotypical way, yes. of suggesting that Italians are amorous, and that Italians are quite misogynistic, so all those things would, would fit into question three? Yeah, we could talk about that. I mean, Spy was a bit of a unique one. You don't usually get someone pretending to be someone else. But without question, he is exaggerating those stereotypes because, we, in essence, we, we, we believe them. And also the fact he acts very much like the two Italians in the car. We see harass Penny on two occasions. Yeah. And his behavior is very much in line with theirs. And the fact that he's successful. I mean, at the end, when Penny gets out of the car, he hits on that girl, and it seems to work. Yeah. So that could all count towards... So the open-top car and things like that, the sort of the red Ferrari-type car and things like that, would they... Would that, that he's driving that? Is that, that might be better for question two, because that's not actually how people are represented. Yeah. Um, unless we say the fact that he drives this ridiculous little sports car shows him as being vain. We, 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 we could go down that road yeah. instead. Or shows Italians as being dangerous. Yeah, if it, it, Italians, I think, probably have a reputation for driving quite erratically and dangerously, so maybe I think get, so. you, you, could get, you could get maybe... Yeah. Uh, I think maybe students feel quite uncomfortable because they worry that they're sort of tiptoeing into areas of sort of xenophobia and racism, things like that. It really. is interesting, especially in this area, where we're quite homogenous. I mean, I'm about as exotic as it gets, and I'm just, mm. you know, a white guy from Canada. But uh, we start talking about other nationalities or genders or sexuality, and we go, oh, no, I don't want to say that. That makes me a racist mm -hmm. or a xenophobe or a homophobe. It's, it's not that. It's how the film's chosen to represent these people, yeah. and we're just commenting on that. And we're aware, because right now we're sort of experts in the field, we're aware of how consistently these things happen. Are men generally represented as being strong and brave? Well, yeah, they are. Where Spy was interesting, because women aren't usually represented as being independent. I mean, if you think about the way that film's laid out, You've got a female agent in the in the in the field. You've got her support back at HQ is another woman, and there, there is no need for that masculine presence to watch and correct. Although, despite that, we still get moments where we do have these conventional representations or stereotypical representations, I should say, where Penny gets a bit jealous yeah. because all those starts flirting with the other girl, and where oh, the woman who Miranda plays mm -hmm. back at HQ. Um, she says she's rooting for the uh, for the bad guy because yeah. he's very attractive. Yeah. And these sort of more stereotypical kind of representations where we do manage to segue their ways in, which is which is fine. And hopefully, because we're going to talk about more than one trait for each demographic, women can be strong, women can be independent, and women can also be jealous. And the, the target for this is you want to say two to three things about two or more demographics. And so once you've been your demographic, women are represented as jealous. When Penny gets upset when Aldo starts flirting with the other girls, this is a stereotypical representation. 
and you can even say, and it lines up with earlier and slash later in the clip when she gets upset when she's not harassed by the Italian guys, but feels some sort of victory at the end when she is. That's she right. gets that, that love at the end. Yeah, because they're wolf whistling, I think, aren't they? And then yeah. they drive past her and it's silent. Oh, you guys are terrible. And yeah. it's a very positive kind of. Uh, I, think, I think it's silent as it passes here or something, and then she goes, yeah. well, that's a confidence booster or something. The, the first time, yeah, yeah. When, they, when they don't well, wolf yeah. whistle her, she gets kind of upset that she's not yeah. harassed on equal terms. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to me this very independent woman who actually fights off Aldo, mm. but still kind of does desire that yeah. attention. Yeah. And so as a result, that's a much more nuanced representation than just going, women are strong. Yeah. And just leaving it there. Or women are independent. Well, it's, it's a bit more nuanced than that. And to get those higher marks above 12 marks, to get really that uh, B and up, you need to find those little bits where threads start coming together. And I think, I think discussing that question relative to that, um, clip that's underlined that you really don't need to note take. I mean, when was that that we did that? Two, three weeks ago? Yeah. And we can, you and I can remember the, the clip for yeah. question three, and we could probably couldn't do that for question two. We'd have to see the clip no. again. I mean, if I hadn't marked all the question twos, absolutely. But, but, but question three. I mean, yeah, we've seen just as much as the students have. Yeah. I've never seen that clip no. before. Before we had. Well, I've seen the movie as a whole, but I've never sort of. I haven't seen that. Right. And so. Um, and we can have a conversation now, so obviously that's just you putting pieces together. Yeah. Okay, what did I really watch? And I don't think you need to waste your time writing notes mm. on that. And if you use the word stereotype, they pretty much have to give you a C. If you've written anything of any decent length, they'll give you the C on that question. So, but ideally, they should look for two to three paragraphs for this question? Uh, I would do three per. I mean, the paragraphs aren't massive. If they look at their revision guides, they kind of see an example of, of, of what to look at. But uh, really, you kind of want to be right between four to six. But they're not massive. They're they are quite small paragraphs, especially if you're looking for more of that C grade response. Sure. So twenty minutes again, sort of a mark a minute. Again. A, a mark, mark a the minute. whole paper's a mark a minute, and you probably can borrow five minutes from this question to go to one or two or four A's you need it. Uh, fifteen minutes you can easily write more than enough. And pe people tend to. I mean, we we have a few people who scored you know, 17, 18, 19, 20 on the, on the last one round. I mean, I, th I think we, when you get it, you just get it. And it's just a matter of when just don't make those lazy mistakes that we've talked about. So make sure it's stereotypes, make sure it's people are represented. So men are represented and then your character is your example. And if you basically avoid those little silly mistakes, you, you should pick up 14 plus. Right. The, the key always seems to be organization with this, making yeah. sure you're organized for one and two and that you give yourself time to complete number three. Yeah, that's, pretty, that's a pretty accurate portrayal. So, should we dive into, so that's section A, and that's the stuff that's unknown on the day. The thing about 4A and 4B is we know what they're going to ask us and we get to decide what they're going to, uh, what we're going to bring to the table on 4A and 4B. The only thing we don't know is if we're going to say do it for one show or do it for two shows. So question 4A is all about how are sitcoms or, or television comedies, they say, because you can't do panel shows if you're so inclined. We do, of course, Big Bang Theory and Outnumbered. How are they scheduled, and why do networks schedule them in the way that they do so? So the key information, more than anything else, is we want to get down the day, the time, and the channel. And if you do that, you pretty much pick up half the marks off the top. Okay. So Big Bang Theory is Thursdays at 8.30 p.m. on E4. And Outnumbered's Thursdays at 9 p.m. on BBC One. And you have to mention one, because of course there's that litany of BBC channels in this country. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, get, getting BBC One is huge. You know, yeah. if BBC Two is usually a step, or at least it was when it was very narrow, was that BBC Two was a stepping stone, and then, oh, it got the move to BBC One was a big thing. And that is the point. BBC One allows you to have that mass audience. 
Whereas Big Bang Theory will never get that mass audience because it's on E4. It's not Channel 4, it's E4. Yeah. And it's a niche audience. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily that Big Bang Theory is better than Outnumbered. But if the students get that information down, and then they start talking about Watershed, of course, one's before the Watershed, Big Bang Theory, it's quite family-friendly. Whereas Outnumbered is a bit more uh, risque, and if we put it after the Watershed, so they can use foul language and a bit more uh, adult themes sometimes. Um, explaining that and the reasons behind that, that's equally important. I mean, we get lucky in the sense that they're both on Thursdays, so we can talk about how they're both stressed from the midweek grind. Thursdays are typically comedy nights. Uh, we talk about the idea that BBC One um, has a mandate to uphold British, um, British values to be creative, but also has to feature British content. So something like Big Bang Theory could never happen on BBC, because mm -hmm. it's just not within the mandate, because they receive tax tax funds in order to uh, create British content for British taxpayers and license holders. Uh, whereas E4, they don't have those same restrictions, so they often stack, or is stacking, um, Big Bang Theory alongside other American sitcoms like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or How I Met Your Mother or The Goldbergs, depending on where in the room we're talking about, they've consistently done this because if you're into one American sitcom, they figure you're into all the American sitcoms, which isn't a half bad mm -hmm. plan of attack. Um, it's if you want to score those higher marks, like a B and A, the ethos of a channel has to be mentioned, which I think the students mainly know. Uh, for Big Bang Theory and E4, sorry, um, the ethos is diversity, which is proven because Raj is East Indian and Howard is Jewish. Education, which we get through some random scientific facts, and innovation in the sense that it was this first sitcom that really elevated geek culture mm -hmm. into the mainstream and said, "No, it's cool to be." different now. They've done a whole bunch of different things since then with it. They've kind of negated that. But at, at the very start at least, it was this idea that the outcasts are now the popular kids, yeah. at least in, in the sense of how we watch it. Whereas BBC, they're about family cohesion, which is important. It's a family dynamic in the sitcom. And it's innovative because it's semi-improvised. Yeah. And that's interesting to people. Um, we could talk about, within that, the problems that the show may have had in its first run. Uh, you know, the first series of Big Bang Theory was on Channel 4, and it did okay for viewership, but not Channel 4 type viewership. So they, it's almost like they got relegated down to the championship by going to E4, but they're thriving there. Because E4 averages about 500,000 viewers uh, in its primetime slots, but the Big Bang Theory regularly uh, triples, quadruples, quintuples that figure. Whereas um, outnumbered, its first run was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. For two weeks only, and so that's you're not finding giving people enough time to find the show, and also do I really want to watch a show every, on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday at 10:35 at night? That seems like a big ask. So then they switch since then to once a week at closer to to to, to 9 p.m. Um, and then they really want to make sure at the end. I mean, they've got facts they can look at and and they, and they can remember. I mean, some key things about American sitcoms. I mean, they run for seasons and seasons. I mean, Big Bang Theory is currently up for 12 or 13 seasons. And right. I was just talked this week about extending it <clears> further <throat> because it, it's just an absolute. It's a money cash grab for everybody. Wins. They use much larger numbers of writers, don't they? Things like that. They they bought The Office, didn't they? Yeah. And, and suddenly, I think that The Office was originally only 12 episodes. In yeah, the and it UK. ran for nine yeah, seasons yeah. in the U.S. with a different, obviously, a different cast. But it's meant for 22 episodes per season on average, okay. uh, as many seasons as you can get out of it, because the money is in selling those shows to everybody to show for reruns. That's where the money is, whereas in Britain it's more about quality, 
six episodes a season, you do what, three seasons, mm-hmm. and then a movie or a Christmas special mm-hmm. or things yeah. like that, and you kind of get out while the ideas are still fresh. Yeah. Um, I guess they're limited as well by the younger characters in that, that they grew up. So There's that too. Mm. Um, but because it's not about cash per se, or um, therefore you just kind of continue churning out this high yeah. quality program BBC, or something like E4, they just want content. And yeah. the Big Bang Theory is going to be content for the advertisers will love that because it's going to guarantee to get you this many viewers for 22 weeks. Yeah for how many years you can get it, and it's an absolute bonanza as far as that goes. Um, and generally, that is it. If you talk about those ideas and supplement it with some of the ideas we had and the, in the statistics in the study guide, they will do fine. Great. But the big thing is day, channel, time, uh, watershed, and ethos. If they can tackle those five things, they can't help but get a C and probably a B. Okay. The other stuff supplements them further up the channel. But at the end, they have to declare a winner. If it, if it asks for both shows, Big Bang Theory is the winner because it regularly quadruples or quintuples its um, the primetime average, whereas um, outnumbered generally just kind of comes in around one and a half to two times. A winner in terms of mu- success in market. Success, because relative success. So you might go, but big, outnumbered gets more viewers. They do, but the BBC on the whole gets more viewers. Yeah. So because Big Bang Theory does four to five times better than what E4 traditionally does on a regular night, uh, whereas Outnumbered does about two times as well as what BBC does on a regular night, the five times beats the two times. It's like making a profit yeah, yeah, sale yeah. in many ways. Sure. So then the final thing is audience pleasures. And the good thing is the students know audience pleasures. Um, and again, uh, it'll ask for 15 things, just like question 4A. Uh, so my recommendation is plan 15 examples from the show you know best and seven from the show you know least best because we don't know if they'll ask for one show or a combination of two shows. Okay. And we've gone through these pretty explicitly, but they just want the example of the pleasure. What is the pleasure? What's the example we, we have of the pleasure? And then what's the effect on the audience? Again, So for instance, um, in Big Bang Theory, uh, season two, episode 11, we know Sheldon's going to pretend to have a stomach ache so he can get the appropriate... Uh, price value of present from the room uh, penny. So when he says, I'm not feeling well, and we go, oh, I know what this is because I'm in on it and I know Penny's not, that makes me laugh because I'm in on the joke. Okay. Or something the audience superiority where, um, oh, I don't know. For example, from Friends, when Joey gets the millionth thing wrong and like he doesn't know how to spell that volcano starts with a B or something like that. I get to feel better about myself because I'm smarter than that character. So outnumbered when they can't get their family to even go for a simple day out, you might go, hey, I'm better than those yeah. I feel I feel pretty good about myself. Um, so it's basically just that format and formula, and it's having a variety of things. The big thing for audience pleasure, because we've chosen sitcoms, is they're regularly funny. And we can't have the answer to every effect on the audience being, this is funny. Yeah. This is funny, it makes me laugh, it chuckles, it provides humor, it's entertaining. These are all acceptable ranges, just we don't say funny, 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 okay. funny, funny. And then it feels like question two where everything makes me tense. Yeah. But as far as planning goes for 4A and 4B, the best thing the students can do is just have a practice and go, okay, I'm going to do a 4A as though it was one show. Now I'm going to do a 4B as though it was one show. And then the next day you go, okay, I'm going to do a 4A as though it was both shows. And a 4B as though it was both shows. In layman's terms, basically for each fact you get on 4A, they tend to give you a mark. Okay. And for each time you go through that little formula on 4B, they tend to give you a mark. 
there's a bit more of a holistic kind of thing that, that can happen, but generally if you aim for 15 facts in 15 minutes, and 15 pleasures in 15 minutes, you'll do fine. Small, precise examples are, are definitely the way to go. Now for some things, such as, um, we say how there's familiar environments, so, you know, um, much of the action Big Bang Theory happens in Penny's apartment. Mm -hmm. Okay, I don't need to go uh, season one, episode one, because the whole theory is that it does happen all the time. But then we talk about how it prevents boredom and say that happens when they go to see the debut of the Avengers. Right. If they did. And they'll go to a movie theater to see that. Okay, that's, that's interesting in a different way mm -hmm. because now it's something new. Yeah. So it's important to have things you're familiar with, but it's important to have things that you break from and actually sure. find a job in that regard. And the students are, are quite good at naming them. Sometimes the formula just trips them off there. Right, okay. So that's basically it. So in essence, that's our 80-minute media exam. And the big tip is know your 4A and 4B, and then just organize yourself properly for Section A. Great. And if you do that, you should do fine, whether it's a tricky clip like Spy or something very, very friendly like James Bond. Yeah, sure. Thank you very much. All right. Revise your stuff, folks. You're big. Fought bigger. <laughs>